You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 14. Abandoned Places. From the Journal of James Penrose, Crystal Spring, Pennsylvania, April 19th, 1883. The interior of Steamheart truly is marvellous. We have been moving for four days, and during that time I have gone over every inch of its detail and accoutrements. I am certain I still have not found everything. The central carriage smells of leather and brass. Little metal handles with locking fixtures can be unbolted to reveal shutters that let the air in when it gets too steamy in here, but internal cooling fans keep everyone from baking where they sit. The comfortable burgundy travelling chairs we have settled into are equipped with safety straps in case we have to pick up speed and brake suddenly. The six humongous wheels themselves are set either side of tilting axles, balanced and suspended to keep our track smooth even as hillocks or uneven stones crop up in our path. We haven't left the road often, but each time we do I find myself pressed up against the portholes along the dark wooden walls watching the countryside roll past. The sky soars overhead, populated with flocks of curious birds, and high above them, sparsely ordered, slowly shifting clouds set against a sky that goes from azure to peach to navy blue as the days thunder past. America is ours to explore. There's room inside Steamheart to walk back and forth, even run when everybody's legs are out of the way. Plenty of empty places to sit in or lie down. Annie and Abigail seem to have rekindled their friendship, sat in the midsection, talking long into the days. The co-pilot's seat beside Harry has become a contested place to perch oneself, to get the best view of the land. I have had to fight Butler and Pines to get my fair share of time there. Raven sticks to the rear carriage behind the fuel load and next to the horse box. It is warmer in there, so he gets the solitude he's after. By day, the sunlight plays through the windows, painting our faces in shifting patterns. At night, we draw the chairs and benches down into bunks and unfold comfortable hammocks, drifting off to sleep, listening to the sounds of nature outside. Always a little afraid, we might hear the barking of a wendigo. Occasionally, we will encounter staring riders in coaches or on horseback, and many of our number wave as we pass by. On two instances, horsemen have given chase and bullets have impacted in the side of the hull. But Butler and Annie have returned fire through the sniping panels and taken out their gun hands to discourage them from further pursuit. That seems to have done the job so far, though I am worried about encountering more riders than we can shoot, especially on terrain they can gallop flat out over. We are mostly impenetrable, but not invincible and I have to remember that our mere appearance is enough to make some people very angry. From the Journal of Abigail Gray, Millersport, Ohio, April 26th, 1883. Eleven days on the road. After the burst of elation as we left Washington, with everyone on board enthusiastically united, the reality of our confines set in pretty soon. It's noisy for one thing. 
that engine cranking away, and the rumble of the wheels over the road, a constant rhythmic pounding that you can feel in your whole body. I get sick if I'm not looking out of the window the whole while we're moving, and sometimes it feels like the walls are closing in on me. I woke up in a delirium at one point and actually believed for a moment that Harry had designed this craft as a crushing device for unwary adventurers, and it took a while for James to talk me down. But what nobody told me about, and what I never expected, was the waiting. You see, Steamheart burns coal and wood, and she's relatively efficient compared to Steelborn. But Harry streamlined her for maneuverability on this trip, which meant carrying less of a fuel load. So what we have in the back burns up mighty fast. Apparently, if she'd brought the extra large fuel reserve and tons of coal, we'd make far better time. But she's cautious of putting too much pressure on the engine and the gears, and leaving us stranded. This means we only actually travel for a few hours a day, and it ain't at a great rate of knots. The person this bothers even more than me is Annie. Before we left, during the preparation weeks, her prerogative became... Let's go in there fast and get it done. But this travel plan was worked out by Thomas and Sarah as the safest for everyone involved, and we have a bunch of rest stops along the way. They were taking no chances with their daughter, or her machine, or James and myself. That leaves a lot of the day for scouting and stretching our legs. We communicate with the townships we go through, and there are presentations of our tour of the eastern states. Harry shows off Steamheart as the new mechanical marvel it's billed as. We give out flyers, posters and damn books, autograph them, my idea, and generally fulfill truth's requirements for improving perception of an unpopular government. People keep asking us what we expect to find at the southern door and what we can do about it, which of course piles the pressure on James and myself. In the settlements, we took a bed in the places we were offered, and when no place was available, everyone else slept on Steamheart. I would separate myself and lie outside in a sleeping bag, gazing up at the stars, thinking of Tabitha, thinking of Lucy. And because she was my goddamn shadow, Annie slept out there with me too, grumbling about my choice of venue, but unwilling to get into another flaming argument with me about my frustration at confinement. But despite her kvetching, a supremely useful word I learned from Dr. Kaufman, I have to admit, Annie has been consistently engaging company. She told me about her childhood, her siblings, the wolves, and her long road to Manassas where she met Butler. I told her about Clearwater and Weirwood, leaving out certain personal details for now. Most intriguingly of all, she told me of her recent encounters in Ohio with Seth and his manticore. She was evasive when I started asking her how she felt about meeting these two again. But what got to me most was her description of a storytelling fellow she met in Marietta called Old Ned. I listened to her description, my brow furrowing, 
But that's Malloy, I exclaimed. The crazy old bastard we met in Clendenin last year. Thank you. That's what I thought, too. I figured at the time I was going a little crazy. So he looked exactly the same? Looked and talked. But he said he was another man entirely. And his ex-wife, who lived a few doors down, corroborated it. Did he try to con you out of anything? No. He gave me an accurate warning about what I might encounter in the woods and pointed me in the direction of a good gun shop. This sounds screwy. Hey, when we're done on this mission, would you like to take a couple of horses and ride out to Marietta and Clendenin? See if we can get to the bottom of this one? I'd like that. Yes, Abigail, I'd like that a lot. Harry had attempted to sleep outside with us once or twice, but she felt most at home inside her creation, slumbering on the clever swiveling pilot's chairs that tilt together to form a snug bed. So Annie and I had these little moments alone. And I won't lie and say that they haven't been some of my favorite parts of this trip. Looking at how long this has taken us, with the benefit of perspective, it's going to be months before we get to our destination. Frankly, I could ride it alone cross-country in 30 days. But then I'd probably die of exposure or starvation or being attacked by who knows what. So I hold off that particular complaint. Enjoy what protection and company Steamheart affords us. And grit my teeth through the worst of it. Occasionally, we will come across a place that is no longer populated, and these are at once fascinating and melancholy occasions. We walk through silent, tumbleweed towns and search for supplies. After ten years, nature has begun to claim these areas back. Vines creep up and over walls. Green shoots emerge from slats. Flowers bloom amid the cracks on worn doorsteps. Dust coats the rooms. Cobwebs glisten with condensation. Wooden structures rot, lean, and subside as the breeze blows in through collapsed window frames. James has begun a small lending library, exchanging the books he finds left behind in people's homes for the ones he has now read on the road. I sat at the end of a set of train tracks this afternoon and sketched the grass growing up through the sleepers as the sun caught the glowing motes settling around us. Raven was perched beside me, writing. Annie watched our surroundings and listened out for the sounds of encroachment, but we met nobody and encountered nothing. Just the world of man, sleeping now. In these quiet hours when I have nobody to argue with and no decisions to make. I am alone with my thoughts. And a kind of subtle acceptance begins to descend. Maybe this is the end of us. Maybe all we are experiencing is the final struggle before the last lamp is blown out and the world becomes peaceful and quiet, like this, all the way across its surface.
the Journal of Frank Butler, Millersport, Ohio, April 26th, 1883. We pulled in beside a lake, and everybody disembarked, happy as usual to be able to walk off the morning's journey. Harry began tending to the engine and would not be interrupted nor assisted. I set off with Abigail in tow to bag a deer for supper in the nearby woods, leaving Annie to watch James. Gray was quieter than usual, and seemed to be pondering something fairly weighty. I elected not to harangue her with overt cheeriness, and we simply moved through the trees, breathing in the sense of the wild, our ears alert. It was hot today, and the air brought change with it. Both of us caught the whiff of rot some minutes in, and that led us to the caucus of a stag. Shot by another hunter? I shook my head and regarded this creature as it lay cold with glassy eyes. His throat's been torn out, I muttered, as I crouched and inspected. Look at the body. This was just yesterday, maybe early this morning. There's other bites on the body and legs, but... Nothing ate him. Right. It was an animal. A big one. And whatever it was didn't even have the goddamn common courtesy to devour his tasty parts, pardon my French. You been hanging out with James too much. Believe it or not, Sergeant Gray, I've done quite a bit of tracking in my time. Well before joining the army. I straightened up. We got us a wolf to hunt. Sounds kind of dangerous. It is. And if this was just a regular wolf, I'd leave it well alone and let nature be. But look at the excess of dried foam round these wounds. This animal is a rabid killer. Can't you just let it die on its own steam? She asked, bunching up her shoulders. Rabies will kill them pretty quickly. Within ten days. But there's an abundance of other animals around here that it could bite but not kill, and that disease will spread who knows how far. I gave her a meaningful look. Yeah, I comprehend the parallel. And you can't just leave it be? No, Abigail, I can't. Nobody asked you to do this. But it's there. All right, let's go. She muttered, hefting a shotgun and racking the lever. I'll watch your back. How about you watch my side? Where you shoot, I want to keep you pointed away from me. We pressed on through the woods, studying the ground as we moved. This den is nearby. Or at least the den of the pack before infection broke out. Rabbit Wolf doesn't take care of itself. They just wander around, attacking anything that moves, and give up on drink and rest. If our Wendigo were more like that, we wouldn't have had a, such a life-threatening problem on our hands. They'd have died out years ago. And we'd still both have families. I've got all the family I need right now. We passed more remains, this time a white-tailed deer, much more recently killed, a look of terror frozen on its face. You ever think about your old wife and children, though? I found myself closing up. A coldness was starting to take over. What kind of question is that? I could hear the anger filtering through in my voice and stopped on the spot. She looked back at me, unapologetically, her lone green eyes searching. Of course I do. But I'm alive and they're not. That's just how it shook out. We gotta deal with what's on our plate, Sergeant. Not spend our lives furious that we weren't served something different. I don't mean no disrespect, Major. Seems like ending up with Annie on your plate was the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah, she is. That make you feel guilty? Over what got cleared off at first? 
This was riling me up too much. I was beginning to get very jittery. It had been a mistake bringing Abigail all the way out here. One bite from this wolf and she'd contract its disease and be dead before we reached Mississippi, even if we went flat out. I had made a mockery of my post as her protector. Why had I pursued this animal? Abigail was right. Nobody asked me to do this, even if it was the right thing. But again, it was there. And she stood, waiting for my response. Abigail reacted all of a sudden, raising her shotgun and pointing it to my left. I had just enough time to wheel around and see an immense, shaggy, gray-black shape bearing down on me, all teeth and flared eyes. Abigail's salvo of lead tore through its chest, and I raised my barrel and planted a bullet through the back of its open maw, darting in front of my companion to shield her from its lunging death throes. She and I caught our breaths and looked down at the shuddering, pitiful beast. I'm sorry. I was being a distraction. I'll leave you be now. Thank you for shooting when you did. I reassured, patting her shoulder and trying to get my bearings. The woods around us still rang with the sound of gunshots. I genuinely hadn't heard the thing approach. I'd been lost in the past. Maybe I do feel guilty. I'm never going to stop missing them. And you feel like you're betraying Annie by doing that, too. I nodded sadly. I love her so much. It's like everything before I met her wasn't real life. Like I was sleepwalking through. Well, I hope I love someone that bad someday. She replied with a crooked smile. It faded as we both realized we weren't alone. Over at the corner of the glade... Three men stood with rifles ready. Their eyes were on us. I slowly raised one hand in greeting. Hey there, fellas. Just hunting a big bad wolf out here. We was as well. The man at the front with the carrot-colored beard shouted. Been killing our sheep. Happy to relieve you of the burden. You gentlemen good for trading? We have our people nearby. No, we ain't good for trading said the man to the right with the sandy hair. Now you and your people stay off our land. Can we at least rest for the night? We won't bother anybody. For that, said Carrotbeard, indicating the wolf. For that you can rest for the night. You've done us a favor there. We want you on the road with your contraption by noon tomorrow. They had been watching us. I exchanged looks with Abigail and my grip around the handle of my weapon flexed imperceptibly. Thank you kindly. Happy to be of service. You boys carry on doing what you're doing. And we left the glade, but did not turn our backs. been listening to episode 14 of Steamheart, Abandoned Places, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. 
James Penrose and Lead Hunter, performed by Alex Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Annie Oakley, performed by Loretta Saylor. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Dull, performed by Keddy Bredemeyer. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Intrepid, Dragon and Toast, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Benjamin Biddle, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. The men hunting the wolf returned to their families that evening and left Steamheart alone, as promised. Their settlement was situated beside a graveyard that had been dug some years earlier. At the start of the week, the number of graves had been equal to the number of survivors. Now the living were in the minority. <laughs> 